Hi, I'm Lisa Moore, one of the pastors here at Coastline Church in Victoria, BC. Welcome to our podcast. All of the content you'll find here is meant to point you to Jesus and to encourage you in your journey wherever you're at. Enjoy the message. Good morning, Coastline Church. You doing well? It's great to be with you as always. If you're new, my name is Lucas. I'm the Victoria Campus Pastor, and me and my wife have had the privilege of serving this church, working here for many years. So grateful for you to be here. It's an exciting day as we start a new series, um, The Father's Heart. We felt like leading into Christmas, which we're all excited for Christmas. Anyone excited for Christmas? Okay, how many of you have your tree up? Just tell me. Good for so we get like 100 woos and then 11 hands with the tree. If you are bold enough to put up your tree November 12th, you better be bold enough to stick up your hand when the pastor asks you about it, okay? And I love how some of you have like two hands because you have two trees. You're like, I have a tree in every room. I know who you are. I see your Instagram. As we lead into Christmas, and we are excited about Christmas, we were thinking like, what, what's something we could do just for like the, the month of November? What's something that would be encouraging? Because the goal here, by the way, and Pastor Andy, Pastor Lisa, even Pastor Ron before them always said, like, if we're going to say anything here, no matter what is said, get to the gospel. Preach the good news of Jesus, that everyone should hear the grace that Jesus has for them. That is always the heart of the pulpit here at this church, just so you know. And I, I think leading into Christmas, we felt like, what's one thing we could do just to really see God's goodness? What's one thing that would help people, encourage people? And so our heart for the next three weeks is to unpack three scriptures, three chunks of scriptures that I guarantee most of, most of you have heard. Uh, the scriptures that, um, whether it's been Sunday school, who knows? You just, you've heard these verses before, but to dig deeper and to know the Father's heart for every single person in this room and in the world. That is the intention behind this series, to get to the gospel, to hear the goodness of our Lord Jesus Christ. With that, we're going to go to John 3. John 3, go ahead, grab your Bible. There's a Bible in front of you. You can go there, your notebook, whatever you have. John 3, a very well-known story. And I have to say, quick anecdote before we get into this. Um, if you haven't seen The Chosen, I encourage you to watch it. There's a great, they do a great job of the story between Nicodemus. And again, I think I've said this before, but I have to apologize to Pastor Lisa, because she came into the office for many, many moons, many months, and she'd say, have you seen The Chosen? And we were like, no. Have you seen The Chosen? No, I haven't seen Have you watched The Chosen? No, I haven't. And here's why. Sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes movies that are done about biblical things, aren't, they don't always have the same quality as like Top Gun. Okay, can we just be honest for a second? Like the production costs don't always go together. And so sometimes you're watching and you're like, is this on someone's iPhone? But, but that is not the chosen. And Pastor Lisa was right. And I just want to encourage you, it's very well done. And they do a great job of showing Nicodemus and just the different kind of creative way about it. You should watch it. Pastor Lisa was right. Trina's always right. And I and Andy are always wrong. So we have realized, because we're watching it through a second time. And Trina's like, we're watching it again and you don't even get to, okay, fine, we're watching again. Here we are, John 3, the story of Nicodemus. It's, powerful, it's a powerful story. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. 
Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, You must be born again. Verse 8, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear it sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. It's a fair question that he poses. He's misunderstanding what Jesus is trying to say. Jesus has this conversation, and he's saying, like, you should kind of know this stuff. You should get this, Nicodemus. Why? Because Nicodemus was a religious Pharisee. He had power and influence. He was very smart. He was well-educated. Nicodemus actually is a Greek name. And so we know that he's interacted with many cultures, many philosophies. He's well-studied, well-prepared, probably influential in his community. He's part of the the Jewish ruling council, which was the Sanhedrin. So he's not just a smart rabbi. He's like a rabbi to rabbis. He knows what he's talking about. He actually makes important decisions for the Pharisees. Again, he's a, he's a ruler, he's smart, he probably has some money, and it's interesting that an influential religious Pharisee, his curiosity is piqued by what? The miracles of Jesus. It's the things that Jesus has been doing, the love of Jesus, the compassion he has on every person, the, the love that's coming out in his miracles honestly grips Nicodemus. And so he comes to him at night, and I think sometimes we give Nicodemus a hard time here. We don't know if he came at night if he wanted to be hidden. That could have been the case. I think more likely is he had such an urgency to to talk with Jesus that he came as soon as he could, which happened to be at night, because he just, he needed to get there and knock on the door and say, I I have questions to ask. Would Would you talk with me? It's hard, I think, for some of us as we read this to see such an intelligent man not get the simplicity of Jesus' words. Very truly I tell you, and then he says something. Very truly I tell you. I feel like only Jesus can say that and it not sound a little bit condescending, you know? You're not hearing me, Nicodemus. I'm telling you this. Very truly I tell you. It's important for us to know that for someone like Nicodemus, they saw, at least in part, after the Babylonian exile, they saw strong spiritual movements like the group of Pharisees as part of the new covenant. They're together, they're moving forward in kind of an organized religious movement, this organized rabbinical group of men. They don't see the need for a Messiah in anything other than a military person to come and overthrow Rome. The Jewish assumption also at this time, and this is important, was that their birthright is what gave them assurance into heaven. That their identity, their racial identity, actually, their old birth assured them a place in God's kingdom. And this is why Jesus' words are so piercing And he's being so clear with Nicodemus. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but there is a spiritual rebirth that needs to take place in every single person's heart, no matter where they were born, no matter where they're from, no matter what they have done. This has to happen. This is the Father's heart, church, that all shall be welcomed in. And I know you've heard that before. You probably have heard that before. But I cannot begin to describe to you how unique and different this would have been for someone like Nicodemus. Church, everyone is welcome to receive the gospel of Jesus. There is no group that is higher, there is no group that is lower. From the youngest girl in India, from the lowest caste system, to the Nicaraguan farmer, to the brother in Nigeria, to first, second, third, fourth, fifth generation Canadians, the gospel is for everyone. And it doesn't matter. 
That, that's what Jesus, that's what he's saying. He's like, listen, it's about a spiritual rebirth, not a physical birth. Something happens here in the heart. That's what he's describing to Nicodemus. That's what he's trying to say. He's leveling the playing field so that everyone from a powerful rabbi like Nicodemus to the blind woman who's been cast aside, everyone gets to be a part of the kingdom of God if they would just hear and listen to Jesus. And I think for us, many of us spend years and years trying to understand something, so it's, it's hard when that understanding is challenged. Like for Nicodemus, think about this. For generations and generations, he's been told something. He's been told that as a Jew, like I'm a part of something here, and this, this is what gives me my assurance. He's studied this. He's now a rabbi to rabbis. I think for many of us, we do so much. We, we go to school for years. We go and get our master's. Some of you like school so much, you did it for 12 more years to become a doctor. Thank you. We need that. I could have never done that. But some of you have spent so much time in one area to achieve one thing. So for us, longevity often is the case for assurance or completion or to get into something. It's, an, it's ingrained in us, in our culture. For Nicodemus, this is shattering his whole mindset that you just have to be spiritually reborn, but what does that look like? So for him, this is a big deal. It seems like so much of what we do takes a long time, church, yet the assurance that comes from Jesus can happen in a moment. We'll get to that more in a little bit. Because assurance doesn't come from an earthly birthright, but a heavenly inheritance bought by Christ Jesus. Hear me for a second. It's not just a heavenly inheritance brought to you, but it was bought for you, purchased on the cross for you and for me, leveling the playing field so every single person could be welcomed in. And again, I don't want to be too hard on Nicodemus or the Pharisees. I think sometimes we paint them with this really bad brush. You have to understand for them, emphasizing the oral tradition and extending Jewish practices um, from the temple to the outside of the temple. They, 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 the Pharisees did a good job sometimes of instilling greater charity in people and, and, and supply and helping the needy. They did a great job of talking about heaven and afterlife. The issue with Pharisees is not their intention, but for some of them what happened is they took this beautiful, meaningful moment, this structure that God gave them, and they tried to expand it and make it bigger. They, they took religion and politics and mixed it together. They made it about certain groups that were smarter or better or more well-studied. They made it about the Sadducees versus the Pharisees. Or they made it about Hillel versus Shammai. Or they made it about this or that. They made it about overthrowing the Romans. They made it about influence. In fact, the greatest threat to the Pharisees was what? It was Jesus. And he came with a message that was unique and different. And they felt like they were losing the Jewish people to this new way of Christianity. And it threatened them and they didn't understand it. And their culture began to feel attacked, and so they didn't know what to do or what to say. And I just have to say this, church. Please hear me here. As soon as society or culture or life or a people group becomes more about power and influence and pride and ego and dominance, we miss the beauty of what culture and groups and history and heritage are really all about. Every culture is beautiful and matters and ethnicity has a story and a heritage that should be learned and honored and celebrated and talked about. Yet Jesus says something, he says something different here. He's trying to actually help Nicodemus see something that's really intentional. He's saying, I'm breaking the entitlement that any culture or any society would try and create and I'm creating an inheritance for every person to be able to have. Are you seeing the difference? 
was talking to a brother of Christ of our church, and he said it so powerfully in a text message last night. I just want to read to you exactly what he said. Culture gives a sense of heritage, uniqueness, and diversity. For many, it provides a belonging and richness which should be celebrated and honored. Yet the culture of the kingdom is one that unifies us in our heterogeneity. Meaning this, Jesus gives us an inheritance that is beyond worldly norms, cultural practices, and worldly devices. It brings us into something together, not despite our differences, but because of our differences, it brings us all together and takes us to heaven. Amen? Thank you, Brother Lalu, for that. It's a great thought, and it's a great word. I need us all to see it. Jesus is doing something so unique here because he wants every person from every tribe and every tongue to sing, blessed are you, Lord. And that's why Jesus' statement about new birth is so strange to Nicodemus and so piercing because he thought the Jewish people already had it. They were only looking for this triumphant, militant leader or Messiah, but yet the Messiah has come to save us from our sin. And this is why he pushes back into Nicodemus. He says, you should know about this. You should know about this. Why? He says this, I will give you a new heart. This is Ezekiel. This is a prophet he would have read. This is a scroll he would have known. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. There's many verses that speak to the coming Messiah doing what? Being a military leader? No. The Prince of Peace, he's to come, Emmanuel. And so for him, he knew this, and yet he still didn't understand. And there's a vast difference between knowing something and understanding something. He keeps asking the question. This is verse 9 now of John 3. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. He still doesn't get it. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you don't understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know, we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. He's saying, you've seen miracles. You've seen things that you just said can only be described as someone being with God. And yet, you turn blindly. I've spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who has come from heaven, the Son of Man. Verse 14, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. And yes, I'm going to stop at John 3.15, just for a moment here. There's a lot to speak about the Father's heart here in this passage. There's a lot. And this story of, of Moses is important. I need you to hear this. If you were to um, jump in your Bible to Numbers 21, you'll find this kind of interesting short story about the Israelites kind of within the epic of Exodus. And it's a story where the Israelites have just come through a battle, which God has basically found a way through for them. They're outnumbered, outweighed in every class, but of course Jesus, God finds a way to help the Israelites to push them forward. And the Israelites have a chronic grumbling and complaining problem. If you have kids... If you have a son named Bo, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Listen, I know I tease on him a lot, but he deserves it. So, um, <laughs> Georgia right now, like, she's fairly good at, like, being able to handle herself. She will wake up, she will brush her hair, she will do all the things, she will get dressed, she will pour a bowl of cereal, she'll do it for all the boys, she'll get LJ for us, she'll bring him down, she'll give him a bowl. That's Georgia. She's seven. Bo is like, Dad, where's my underwear? Like, he's five years old. He's like, Dad, can you help? I'm too tired. Dad, I can't do it. Bo right now is that guy who, you know what I don't like about grocery stores? They put all the sugary cereal at eye height for like, for Bo. 
I didn't know this until recently. I'm always like, why do I have to reach down for Cocoa Puffs? This is weird. They should put it here for adults. But I realize now it's for kids. And so the other day, I'm like, oh, go grab some Honey Nut Cheerios. We were grocery shopping together, and he's like, Dad, look. And it was like, it was like, yeah, Reese's Peanut Butter Puffs or something. I was like, no, bud, we're not getting that. Okay. Dad, look. I'm like, no, we're not getting that one either. Dad, look. He's holding like the jumbo box of Lucky Charms. Dad, it's perfect. I'm like, buddy, we're not getting that. Okay. He's like, this is the worst. Do you even love me? Like, he's just, yeah, real. He said that to me. And I was like, do I even? You do nothing for the family. You are not helpful most of the time. Like, sometimes I have to look, like, isn't it funny how, like, LJ, he does nothing for us. Yet we love him, right? And Bo, I was like, buddy, the answer is no. I need you to be okay with no. It's okay. We'll get it maybe for Christmas or something. It's fine. And he's just like, no, we're getting it. I don't even care. I'm putting you in the basket. Mm. He puts it in the basket. I'm just like, no, child. Like, the answer is no, and this is a problem. And so I was like, fine. You know what? We're buying shredded wheat. We're buying shredded wheat and mucilix and the granola. You can drink that with oat, soy something, because I don't know. That's what you can have. There you go. He's like, no, mucilix. If anyone eats mucilix or shredded wheat, I got so many texts after the nine about shredded wheat. If you eat it, I don't care. Don't text me, okay? It's just a giant plain mini wheat, so I don't get it, but here's my point. The Israelites, this is what they were like. Oh, Lord, take us back to Egypt where we were slaves. This is too hard to walk to the promised land. Lord, we're so hungry. Manna from heaven, I don't like it anymore. It's not, it doesn't taste quite, I don't want it. I don't want beautiful, fresh meal from heaven. (laughs) And so they're complaining and complaining and complaining. And finally, church, God says enough, enough. And so this is the story in full time. This is what it says, Numbers 21, you can read it. He sends snakes, many were bitten and some even died. Poisonous snakes. Parents, really quick, if you need a story, to threaten your kids to listen. Numbers 21. Oh, really? Lord Jesus, we pray for a python. I'm just kidding. I hate snakes. The point of the story is this, because it keeps going. The Israelites realize what they have done. They run to Moses. Moses prays to God, and God literally says to, literally says to the Israelites that he's going to build a structure, this like t- tall pole, and a snake is going to go on it. And if any of the Israelites look at that structure, that snake they will be healed. Now, it seems weird because the snake is usually kind of this evil uh, imagery when it comes to the word of God. But it's important to recognize it was a bronze snake fortified in fire. And this is the difference, and this is key. Because Jesus is teeing up the gospel here. Yes, the message of hope, the gospel, the good news, the love of Jesus, the grace, the mercy, the reconciliation. That is true, church. But the reason it's true, the reason we have a Savior on the cross is because we have sinned. Grumbling and complaining. Because as humans, we miss it. We love to talk about the love and mercy of God. But because we have a loving, merciful God, he is also a good, loving judge. And God judges wickedness. God judges sin. He has to. If there is good and evil, he has to judge evil. If there is love and hate, he has to see hate. Love is more greater than we ever could know because we have seen hate. 
Both of those things work together. And this is what's so powerful about our good, loving Father and the heart he has for you. The Father's heart may judge our sin. Actually, it condemns our sin, praise God. But it also says, I'll take your place. And so it says, I see your sin, but I also want to take your place. I will bear the weight, even though you have done it. I'm judging the sin, but how so? I take it upon the cross. And so in this Old Testament story, Moses holds up this bronze serpent. Why? The serpent reminds them of their sin, but the bronze piece of it is important. A bronze serpent is a picture of sin judged and dealt with, purified through fire. It shows them their sin, yet provides a way towards hope and healing and redemption and compassion and love and beauty. Are you seeing the picture here? And this really matters. Bronze is this, again, it's this being judged, it's this purified, it's gone through fire, it's been tested and taken care of. And we are not so unlike the Israelites, and we're not so unlike Nicodemus, where we see it and we know about it, but we don't fully grasp and understand. Church, sin is real, but our Savior triumphed over sin. That is the good news, is that there was bad news, but guess what, now there's good news. Good news ain't that good if there's no bad news. He's got good news and bad news. You always want to hear the bad news first. Why? Because the good news has come. And this is so important for us to see. The Father's heart literally says, I, I may judge the sin, I condemn the sin, but I also take your place on that cross. His mercy is easy to spot. God uses the cross, the emblem of judgment. I know for many of us, the cross is this beautiful sign, but early on, it was a sign of judgment, terror, Horror, you would not see a cross outside of a church in the first, first few centuries. Why? Because it was the Roman way of death. You would see it in Roman cities for miles to come, people hanging on crosses. And so although it is a sign of judgment, it's also this beautiful moment for us where we see God take our sin and judgment on the cross so that we can live free, we can live hope-filled, we can have faith, we can believe that he has dealt with our sin and we can now live on a way that leads to hope and healing and full life. Can I get an Amen. We're saved, you guys, from a spiritual death and granted eternal life. I, I highly doubt the Israelites were like, I can't wait to look at this thing, this serpent structure, bronze structure, when actual snakes are like at their heels. But similar to us, as we look to the cross, we see Jesus dead, but we also have hope eternal. For three late days later, we understand what took place. Because the Father's heart says, listen, your heart isn't okay. Follow your heart is not great advice all the time, okay? Your heart has sin, and that's the part where God says, I judge that, that sin, but he says, I'll lay down my life to give you a new one, and that's the mercy and grace of Jesus. If you're a Christian in here, you can testify to the goodness of God. I can't help but wonder how many of us are like Nicodemus. We know the right things, we do the right things, maybe you come to church and you sing the right things, tithe, do a lot, we've done a lot, yet we live knowing that we need spiritual transformation and our worldly answers do not provide enough. This is the story of Nicodemus. It's not just John 3.16. There's a greater picture here. This man who has come, who is hungry to know, he knows but he doesn't understand. Similar to the Israelites, they know the provision of God but they don't get that there is real sin in the world and Jesus has to take care of it. And so we know a lot. We earn it. We think we can be born into it. We think we can just study it enough. And the Lord, for me, I was like, Lord, how do I preach John 3.16? 
Everyone knows John 3.16. Non-Christians know John 3.16. It's on the bottom of Forever 21 bags for Pete's Lord. Like, what do I... Rest in peace, Forever 21, right? How do we get to a new depth, a new place? What is it you're trying to teach me? And he say, hold on. How many people know John 3.16? I'm not asking you to know it. I'm asking you to believe it. Church, I'm, I'm asking you to believe in the person of Jesus who speaks out these words that have meant so much to so many. The Christian does not think God will love us because we are good. This is C.S. Lewis. But that God will make us good because he loves us. John 3.16 doesn't say, for God was so pleased by your generosity that he gave his one and only son. It does not say that he's so profoundly moved by your unity in your church that he gave his one and only son. For God was so amazed at your ability to quote John 3.16 that he gave his one and only son. John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Here is a moment I would like for you as we try and keep this sermon about Nicodemus and what's happening, I want you to make this personal. For God so loved Coastline Church and the people that are in it today. For God so loved you that he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And we all know John 3.16, but I think we need John 3.17 today. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. You can't save yourself. You can't keep going at the pace you're going. You can't fix this. That's why he's come to give us a clean heart, a fresh start, spiritual rebirth, because he's the only one who can. And you may know this verse and you may come to church, but do you believe in him? Because that's what it said, for God so loved the world that he gave his one only son, that whoever believes, not whoever forces their way in, not to anyone who has the right birthright, not to anyone who's done amazing things, not to the pastor who's preached a great sermon, none of that. It's about belief in Christ Jesus. For God did not send his son to the world to condemn it, but to save the world through him. If we keep reading, it says, whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not, excuse me, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. Verse 19, this is the verdict, church. Light has come into the world, praise God. But people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. And everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. John 8 actually says later on, I am the light of the world. Jesus says this, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness but have the light of life. We are so scared and so fearful of the path we're walking that often we're scared to come to Jesus in this moment. We like John 3.16, we're scared to act on what Jesus is saying. We like the sound that he saves everyone, but Jesus is actually saying to us, come into the light. Because when he sees you, he sees you through what? Through the eyes of the cross. 
N.T. Wright just wrote a great book. In fact, he goes into detail just on Romans 8. And he said, in it he writes, like Jesus didn't just condemn our, like judge our sin. He condemns our sin personally. And he condemns the power of sin that's at work within us. He's saying, you have been saved from this thing called sin. Like, he's taking you away from it. He sees you for who you are. He want you, and the heart that you carry running to him, coming to him. So for many of us, we walk in darkness. For Nicodemus, he doesn't, I don't think he means to, but he walks in darkness. And Jesus is saying, you need new life, spiritual birth. And guess what? God so loves you that if you believe in him, you will receive that new life. For many of us, we've been living in darkness. We've walked away from the light, knowingly unbeknownst to ourselves. And yet exposure to the light of Christ will give you the safety you seek, the comfort you desire, the hope your heart sings for and desires and asks for, the soul that feels heavy in this room. If you would just run to the cross, you'd actually find the hope and healing you truly desire for the person who's stuck in this habitual sin. You don't need another moment or or self-help book. You need the loving peace that only comes through Jesus Christ. He is present and he he wants you to receive Receive his grace and mercy. So many of us are just walking this path. I close with one story, if that's okay. In grade 12, my grad class went on a hiking trip in like the Rockies, somewhere in that area. I can't remember quite exactly. It was cold and there were mountains. That's what I remember. And there was this one final trip and, and me and my cousin and another buddy were kind of put with a group of girls who, we weren't the most athletic group. And so they gave us a lot of day hikes, and that was nice and easy ones, and that was fun. But on the last day, on the last day, they said, you know, you're going to go for a full day hike up, to, up this mountain, right up this, like, tiny ridge, and you're going to find a cabin, and you'll actually stay there that night, and then you'll come back down the next morning. So we're excited, and we set off, and we leave late, take an extra lunch. We're getting tired, because all week we've been doing these, like, I don't know, half kilometer day hikes to a lake and just hanging out. And now we're doing like eight kilometers up a mountain ridge. It's like, we should have prepped for this one maybe a little bit. And it was a struggle, it was hard. And me and my cousin get up there and we come back and help some of the other people and put their bags on and they walk up. And we finally arrive. It's getting dark out. And sweet, some sweet class from Trinity Western University, thanks for nothing, was already up there. There's like 15 of them. And it's a tiny little cabin hut thing. And there was like 12 of us, and in our infinite wisdom throughout the college professors and our adult chaperones, they thought it was best to ask the teenagers to head back down in the dark and go eight kilometers back to our base camp. (laughs) Really fun, really good time. As you can see, I'm not some sort of woodsman, like, (laughs) bit of an athlete in high school, no big deal, but like, that was a joke. But like... I didn't want to go eight kilometers down a mountain with 12, like, but in the moment, <clears throat> I puffed up my chest and did what every grade 12 boy does. I'm like, we can handle it. Let's do it. I'm not even worried because there's university hiking students. And so I put on two bags and we start and almost instantly I'm like, this is not good. It's dark. It's snowing. We're on a ridge. Like you make one bad step and you are in trouble. Seriously. And honestly, through that whole journey, it felt like it lasted a lifetime. At one point, we got lost. We had to actually stop, build a fire, like think about what we were doing. I was so scared, honestly. 
And I cannot even begin to tell you that as we continue to walk and continue to walk, you really feel like there's no way out of this. You do. You start to hear sounds. I'm like, I don't, not like, I don't know every animal, but cougars hunt at night. I only know that. And this is not cool. Like everything sounds like a bear. Do you notice that? You're like a, hey, what's up? Was that a bear? Like you're instantly, is that a, is that a bear? Start doing the thing. And then finally, finally you hear sounds that are familiar. Finally you see like a bright light of someone else in a cabin. I see our base camp, our group. And I remember that night, I ran over, we all got together, we ate, we like, it was so late at night, people were waiting up for us. We get into bed finally at night, and I remember actually just like being so filled with emotion, I couldn't sleep. And I think for many of us, we are walking the ridge of darkness, and we feel like we're never going to find the light. We are continuing to walk in moments of desperation, feeling uncertain and unaware of where we are. We feel lost, we're circling back, and maybe this feels all too familiar with the piano player in the back and John 3.16 on the screen. But it is the light and the moment and the verse you need because it is the gospel of Jesus Christ. For God so loved you that he gave his one and only son, that he died on the cross to save you from your sin, to give you eternal life and life and life to the full here on earth. He did not come to condemn the world or you. He came to save the world through his son. That is the good news of Jesus, and I need you to see it today. Because many of you have come in here like a skeptic week after week. Many of you have come in here sleepwalking week after week. And finally he's saying, this is my heart for you. This is the Father's heart for every person here in this church that they would receive grace and mercy and love. And they don't feel the shame or the darkness they walk in, but they would walk towards the light. The truth is this. The verdict is in. The light has come. His name is Jesus. Would you receive him? Would you receive him? telling you you can keep going. That's a dangerous path. So Jesus, today we pray. Would you close your eyes with me? I pray in Jesus' mighty name. I pray in Jesus' mighty name that the light that has come into the world, thank you, Jesus, would speak so clearly to the hearts of every person here. For the person who has traveled again and again, walked again and again, and feels heavy burden today, feels, can, can noticeably feel the sin that's in their heart, tearing them apart. Jesus, we pray these words that they would receive a new heart today in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray that the love of Jesus, your love, God, would rest on us. That for the person who has walked with you for the longest time to the youngest here, would know that there is a mercy and a grace that anyone can receive. To the person in this room that feels like they are too far gone to receive the grace of Jesus. To the person in this room, Lord, who feels like they have done something too terrible to receive your grace. Would you give them a fresh mind today and a knowledge and an understanding that the grace that you have is very much for them. Lord, I pray today that we would receive your love and mercy and redemption and hope. If you today are just feeling a sense that like, I've walked so long in the dark, it's now my time to come to the light. Would you just, you, if you want, you can lift your hand. You can 
stand, you can just open your arms. I encourage you to make this moment personal in your heart. I would encourage you just to pray a prayer like this. Jesus, I need you. I surrender everything to you. If that's you, you say that prayer. Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I surrender everything to you. Say it audibly so you know you're saying it, but not enough that I don't need to hear it and neither this person beside you, but say it. Jesus, I need you and I surrender everything to you. I am sorry that my sin put you on that cross, but I thank you for that cross is what gives me life. I run to you, Jesus. I lay everything at your feet. I pray right now that the stress and the shame and the sin that you feel would just, that weight would begin to come off. Lord, I pray that freedom would arise in these hearts, that hope and peace. Lord, I pray the peace over any person who feels like their sin is causing them stress. Lord Jesus, we ask that you would come mightily right now and weigh on every person, no matter where they're from or what they've done, that they would receive your love. So once again, Lord, we pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for the cross. I love you, Lord, and I give you my life. Some of you need to say that prayer, Lord. I give you my life. I'm not walking in the dark anymore. I run towards your light. It's in Jesus' mighty name I pray. And everybody said, would you stand to your feet with me? Would you stand to your feet? Before we, before we head out to lunch, to brunch, we have a moment that we get to have here with the Lord Jesus Christ. To sing, to declare his goodness. So stretch if you need to, but lift your hands, would you? Because this song says, here I stand in surrender. And this is a sign of surrender. This is a sign that says, Lord, I want more of you and less of me. Here I stand, Lord, high in surrender. I need you now. Look where my chains are. Look where my shame is. I run to you, Lord Jesus. So would you lift up your hands all across this room if you feel comfortable? Let's begin to sing. Let's begin to worship. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And if you would believe in your heart, choose to believe, that you will not perish but have eternal life. That is the gospel and that's what we believe today. Come on, let's sing out loud. Let's go.